Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. As there are in our, our seasons and in our lifetimes or periods that are more difficult than others, I, I, I'll tell you the truth, I prefer June um, over January any day. Actually, my favorite month would probably be May when I can smell the new things growing and you can open your window in your car and you know that the world's changing for the better. And then there's always fall. That's my second favorite time of the year because I can smell the harvest, smell the things that uh, have been harvested through the labor, through the summer. But in our life, there are going to be seasons of struggle, seasons of change, and that's just normal. We expect those. Whether you're a Christian uh, or non-Christian, you'll be affected by them regardless. But I want to maybe take that a step a little further and talk to you about uh, the spiritual aspect of struggle, those periods in our life where um, it seems more difficult to deal with the reality of our situations. I was surprised on my way home from work on Friday on WTMJ. I really have stopped trying to listen to the news. But once in a while, if I get bored, I'll turn it on and I'll see what's going on. And um, of all people to put on, they put a Satanist on. And um, he was talking about a a uh, statue that they want to erect in Utah next to the Ten Commandments outside the courthouse. And I thought, huh, that's like inviting Hitler to come and promote, promote his, his cause. And the first thing that this man said when he got on the radio was how Christians are so intolerant. Well, hello, Satan is our enemy. He is the enemy of God, and by the way, uh, he is a Bible character. And uh, when we have our Bible, you wouldn't know about Satan if you didn't read our Bible. No one would know about Satan unless they look at the Christian scriptures or the Hebrew scriptures. And as he began to talk and they interviewed him, um, of course, it was one lie after another that the Constitution was not built on the Christian faith and how Thomas Jefferson was not a Christian. And, and I thought, you know what? Um, he is a Satanist because his father is the father of all liars and he can't, he can't tell the truth to save, save his life. And then they asked him the question, how many followers do you have in Milwaukee area? And he said, not a lot. And I said to myself, why in the world do we even have him on the radio? Why, why would you do that unless you're just looking for some sort of a shock thing to irritate someone that caused some conversation? We are not intolerant, we are fervent. We are fervent for our faith and for the one that we serve. 
and we're intolerant of sin. I wanted to, as I, I thought about this morning, I, I've realized over the years of ministry that I've been involved in that oftentimes God uh, allows me to experience something uh, that the congregation, someone in the congregation might be going through so that I might address it from a, a perspective closer to their own and, and not one of me just in, yeah, on a high level. Uh, it's ministry through life experiences. You know, the, we talked last Sunday morning uh, in Sunday school, we talked about Satan and his, his attacks and his offenses against the faith. And as I was thinking about uh, this this week, I realized that the devil's major tactic in causing people to become discouraged, depressed, and lose their faith is through isolation. He tries to isolate the person from the source of, of his power. We would call that almost an embargo or a barricade and trying to keep uh, the presence of God from cultivating faith in the heart of the believer. Uh, we can see that throughout history, Napoleon, uh, go back into the scriptures, that when they had great conquest, they would always surround their enemy, and they would cut off all the supply lines, and they'd hope to starve them out, weaken, weaken the people behind the walls. And I wonder, years ago, Kelly, we used to sing, at our church, I think we even sang it back in Plymouth, hold the fort for he is coming. And after a while, I, I never, I started, you never heard that song? We never played it? Jesus answers still. But as I sang it over and over again, I began to realize I don't like it. Because it's, Holding the fort means that I'm just sitting there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just sort of behind the embargo, hoping that someone will come and save me. And I want to tell you that the devil wants to cut off your supply line. One of the ways that he works inside of us is each one of us are, uh, is very emotional. If we were to take and, and try to measure it, I know people have tried to measure the amount of water in a body. They'll say that two-thirds of your body is water. Well, if you were to look at your spiritual aspect of you, what part of you is emotion? How much of your existence is based on your emotions? You laugh, you cry, you get discouraged, you, you're excited, you can watch little children full of emotion and and emotions can change so radically. You can be laughing one minute and, and get some terrible news the next and be completely discouraged the next. It's like, it's like the wind, your emotions. It's, they're, they're constantly changing in direction. It just seems that you really can really never get in touch with your emotions because they're so fluctuating. But I want to tell you, emotions do play a very major part in your view on life. If you're happy, 
When Irish eyes are happy, the whole world smiles with glee. Of course, that's the Irish song. When a Christian is happy, it seems that the world is a brighter place. Your emotions play a major part in your view on life. Now, knowledge can affect your emotions. Good news can make you happy. Bad news can make you sad. In the same example, I would like to tell you that preaching, anointed preaching, can also stir your emotions and stir your heart. One of the things that God did for Job, and I've really enjoyed my, I'm still in reading the book of Job through my Bible reading, and I've really enjoyed it this time again. One of the things that we notice in the book of Job is that the devil mentions that God put a hedge around him, a hedge of protection, so that Satan couldn't touch him. Remember that? I pray for one of those all the time. Absolutely. God, if you could build one ten times taller than the one you built for Job and four feet thicker, I'd really appreciate it. Put it around my family, around my grandchildren, about my children. You know, and, and we all pray that way. Hopefully you pray that way. But don't you think that the devil realizes that he can do the same thing? Do you know that's what he did with Job? He put a barrier around him after God removed the barrier. Job, uh, the devil set up his own barrier around Job. He didn't... Uh, the only influence that he allowed in through the barrier were negative influences. And initially, Job was doing fairly well, and he trusted in God, but when you get into the center of the book, he's starting to deal with his emotions. His emotions have come into play, and I, I note that there's times of discouragement, despondency. Even in Job, a man that God had uh, piloted in his program as one of the most faithful men on earth. Even Job struggled with his emotions when Satan put up his stockade. One of the, I was thinking as I, I get older, and I'm going to be 62 this October. Do you know what that means? Does anybody, you older ones, 62, do you know what that means? Social security. I am eligible for social security at 62. So, you know, and I thought about it and I thought, you know, what kind, what, on my bucket list, you know, we're getting older. And all the people that I work at that the senior community say, wow, you're young. Go out and do things. Don't wait until you're our age. We can't do anything. So I, I thought about what would I like to put on my bucket list? And I was talking to Brother Zelinsky about this. And um, you know what I like to do? Um, something that we did with our kids years and years ago. We had an old honey motorhome. It was a Dodge. It looked like a van in the front and it had a little camper on the back. You know what it looks like? 
And we went out to South Dakota and Colorado and, I, and just had a wonderful trip. And I thought, boy, wouldn't it be fun to do that again and just take a month and drive through the Badlands in Colorado and go down into Texas and over into California and up the coast of Washington and come through Glacier and all the way back and just stop when you want. Well, one of the things that I remember happening on our first trip with the kids was the view from our big window outside the motorhome always changed. And I'd like to title this message, um, The View from Your Window. We would stop in the Badlands and we'd look out and we'd see desert and rocks. And then we'd stop in Colorado and we'd see trees and forest. My point is the view changed as we traveled. The view from our window was never quite the same. And I began to realize that that's how life is. The view from my window today in my walk towards glory is going to be a different view than it was yesterday. And so I, I, I need to be aware to expect that some days I'm going to see desert. And sometimes I'm going to see snow-peaked mountains shining all around me. And that wherever I am, and one of the things about the camper that I liked is, well, first of all, we had a, a refrigerator, always running, and we could cook in it, and we, we, didn't, we were completely self-sufficient. We didn't need anything. We could stop wherever we wanted. The bathroom was nice with kids, and... There was security there. Wherever we went, we always had the security of something familiar. The inside. My church is like that. It's the same. The church is the place in which this church body in which I dwell, this building in which I dwell, it's the inside of my motorhome. It's everything that I need is here. My fridge, my, my friends, everything that I need. But that doesn't mean that things outside don't change. I was looking at John the Baptist in, in Matthew the 11th chapter, realizing that John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. I... I sort of thought about what it must have been like for him to grow up with his cousin, and I don't believe for a minute that they never saw each other. You know, if Mary, Mary went to see her aunt, um, she was close enough by to do that. I'm sure that the family got together. Our families get together. And so it's quite possible that John grew up with his cousin. Matter of fact, some of the disciples were directly related to Jesus' brothers. They knew him. And when Jesus came to John to be baptized, John just so blatantly and boldly proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. 
with quite a bit of confidence and security in his voice that truly this is the Son of God. The view from the window that day was so good. Christ with his, some of his disciples coming to the water and the, and the dove descending from above and, and in a sense, and the types descending and resting on Christ. What a view that day it was. How full of faith John was. How on fire he was. His ministry was impacting the known world at that time. Everyone knew of John the Baptist. But there came a day as he continued to travel that things turned out differently. The view from his window changed. He preached the truth. And Herod couldn't stand the message that was coming from his mouth concerning him and his sin. And he locked John up in prison. And now John is looking out through the windows that are covered with bars day after day. It's hard to lock up a wild lion. It's hard to go from the freedom of movement to a place of ineffectiveness and and bondage and chains. Now, I want you to sort of, as I'm speaking this morning, I want you to sort of make in your mind the correlation of where I'm going with this. This is all typology of what I'm trying to tell you. He was bound in prison. He was taken from a place of activity and feelings of of usefulness and success to a place of ineffectiveness in his own mind. Some of you will have that happen to you in your life. Oh, you may not be locked up in, in, in the jail, and you may not be sent to prison, but the devil may lock you up in a place where you cannot have the freedom to do what you used to be able to do. And the view from your window will change. And then you will have to deal with your emotions. Matthew eleven eleven says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Is this the same John the Baptist that we read about previously? I believe so. What's happened to him? Things are different in the cell. Jesus answered and said to him, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. You know, it's, it's when you're living in that place of trial, captivity, sometimes people have to bring into you what you need. He didn't see it. He wasn't able to hear it. But someone else told him about it. 
That's why the Bible tells me how important it is for me to go to church so that even if I am locked up in a cell of grief, a cell of, of despondency in the trial of my faith that Satan has me bound, that people can bring to me the things that I cannot see and the things that I cannot hear. Let the preacher preach under the anointing of God. Let the word of God go forth with all its power. Tell me what's going on in the kingdom of God, even though myself, I cannot right now for the moment experience it. Yeah, have you ever come to church and, and felt like you were spiritually dead? Well, there's probably one or two of you that will say no. There's always a couple. But have you ever went through a trial of your faith where you felt that heaven has become like brass and your prayers can't make it beyond your lips and you struggle? It's just a view from your window, friend. It's just another view. But if you maintain your faith, and not are offended. Notice how Jesus in verse 4, 6 says, And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. What does that mean? Is it possible that John was starting to get an attitude? Yeah, I think he might have been. Was it possible that Job was getting an attitude. Yeah, I think Job was starting to get an attitude when he said, it would have been better for me if I was never born. It's almost like watching a wonderful life all over. After all the good things that Job did for so many people, he was willing to say, oh, it'd be better for me that I never was born on the face of the earth because of the trial that I face. Jesus is saying, right now, for the moment, do not become offended in me. For in due season, if your faith does not fail, you shall reap, Hebrews 11. He will come and he will not tarry. And I'm speaking to someone this morning about this because you feel that God has forgot about you you're wrestling with your emotions. You feel like you're lost, and it feels like your prayers don't go anywhere. But remember, we're traveling. The wind changes. <clears throat> you know, Paul was Paul was quite a person. When I look at the number of books that he wrote from prison. We talked about this some time ago too. Four of the books that he wrote in the Bible were written from a prison cell. This would be a good trivia question. Wouldn't it? Bible trivia, could you name the four books that he wrote from jail? Like Colossians? Colossians is one of the most beautiful books of the New Testament. It talks about the deity and the beauty of God uh, more than any other book. But he wrote it when he was sitting, looking through the bars of a window. 
How about the book of Ephesians? He talks about church leadership and instruction, and he's building up the faith of so many leaders. And how many, about Philemon and Philippians? These books were written by a man that was sitting in a cell. In Acts, the 23rd chapter, when all this started in Paul's life, well, actually, by this time, he'd been beaten and stoned a number of times and shipwrecked. He'd already been through a number of experiences. But at this particular time, he's going to enter into prison for a majority of the remainder of his life. When he goes to Jerusalem and he, he's caught with that, what they believe is a Gentile in the outer court of the temple, and they send him to, I believe, Caesarea uh, to be uh, judged from that point in his life to the time he dies, he's going to spend most all of it in a jail cell. No more missionary journeys. He's had three missionary journeys up to this point. No more missionary journeys. It's all done. It says in verse 10, there arose a great dissension. The commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. But the following night, the Lord stood by him. Oh, that hit me like a brick when I read that. The Lord stood by him. And you know what it reminded me of? Brother Manson, me and my brother, and Dave Pemberton, and... Uh, Ricky Colmeyer, can you remember? I remember those names when I was 16 years old. We're in High, on Howell Avenue and Layton Avenue by the airport. And I don't know if any of you know Milwaukee back in 1966, but there was a big boy there driving. Remember that? We're all in the car together. I'm one of the fortunate times that my brothers allowed me to go with his friends, probably after this instance, never again. But I'm sitting in the car, uh, and the car next to us uh, is full of teenagers. And they, they, don't, they look a little rough. And I'm daydreaming. You know, like you go into a stupor and you're just staring at something, and I'm, I'm staring at them not even thinking about it. And one of them says, shouts out his window, hey, buddy, you got eye problems? And I'm in a daze. I don't know what to say. I'm just in a stupor, you know, like, yeah, I do. Well, they jump out of the car. Now, I'm 150 pounds, luckily, if I'm 150 pounds. And there's four of these guys. And I know that if they pull me out of the car, it's not going to be a pretty picture when it's all over. But then, my brother and David Pemberton and Rick Kohlmeyer stood beside me and said, we all stand together if you fight one, you fight all. Boy, was I glad that we said that. 
I was really glad. What that means is they stood by me. They stood by me to back me up. So when I look at this verse, it says the Lord stood by him. It does not go on to say that he delivered him from the jail cell. And it doesn't say that everything's going to work out fine in Paul's life in a peachy keen manner. It only means that when you fight one, you fight all. And if God before me or stands with me, I want to tell you I don't need to fear those who stand against me. The Lord stood by him. But I didn't like what he, notice what he says next, be of good cheer. Well, that's wonderful, easy for you to say. I've been sitting in here in Damascus for two years now. Be of good cheer. Happy are you. You smile at me, but you probably say the same thing. Lord, how can I be happy? I was meant to go out and preach. I was meant to go from city to city. I'm an apostle. I'm an evangelist. Look at me. That's my calling. And look where you've got me. How can I be of good cheer? For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so must also you must bear witness at Rome. Did you ever think that God was going to change the way in which he ministered? Think about it. We get older, and just because we had one type of ministry when we were younger, does not mean that God cannot change our ministry and use us in a different dimension when we get older. You're going to go to Rome, and you're going to be your bear witness, because when you're in Rome, all those people that you preach to, all those children, all those young adults, all the parents, you know what? They're going to watch you. They're going to see that your faith is based on what you preach. Do you really believe what you've told others. Can you, can you really live out your view on God? And he did a greater work from the jail cell possibly than he ever did when he was free. I want to read Philippians also. Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Remember what book was written? Where was this book written? From a jail cell. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you picture him? He's sitting at an old wooden desk, I think he's probably having someone help him write because he does mention in some of his books that someone helped him pin because his eyesight probably wasn't too good. And I'm not sure that it's just a, a theory. But there he is. He's writing this letter. I thank my God every time I remember you. 
in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ, Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more knowledge and depth of insight. I don't want to pass over that too quickly. Because some of you, when you enter into the kingdom of God, you have that surface infatuation type of relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, your seed has been planted, the seed has been planted into the soil of your heart, but the seed needs to take root and grow deeper into the soil. And what he's saying is that for you to be healthy and to produce fruit, you must have insight and knowledge. Well, let me ask you, how do you get insight and knowledge? Through learning, through experience, through the view outside your window, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now he mentions something to them, because I'm sure in previous letters, the Philippians have shared their sorrow Oh, Paul, we pray for you. We feel so sorry for you that you're locked up. We pray for you every day. And how many times have you said that to someone in church? Oh, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I pray that God would deliver you from it every day. Paul is addressing that letter, that type of letter. And he wants to show them that the things that he's experiencing in his trial are very profitable for them and for himself. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace, guard, and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my change, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Really? That's great. You mean through this bad trial, something good's happening? Yes, the Bible tells me that all things work together for the good of those that love God to those who are called according to his purpose. So that even in your illness, even in your trial, you can cause faith to grow in others through your experience. Now the devil likes to blockade you off. I was thinking about, I know I'm, I'm going to come back to this. 
about Job. What a mess. What a mess. Families, children are gone. That's bad. That's really bad. And you know, sometimes we read the book, but we never, we never feel the emotion that Job must have felt when he learned that the kids that he loved so much and sacrificed for every day to make sure that they were right with God, his heart was with his children to find out all your children were gone in one day. And then to find all your wealth was gone. And then your reputation is destroyed. And then your health is gone. And then your wife curse, wants you to curse the one that you've served all your life. That's the encouragement he got from his wife. Curse God! Die! Old man! Then his friends came. And they told him what a sinner he was. And how God was punishing him. Would you be depressed? How would you feel? It'd be bad enough having your three friends stay with you for seven days when you're not feeling well picking at you. And then, guess what? Sparky, his own dog, come and licks his sores. You know, I thought maybe that was a good thing, cleansing. But even Sparky turned on him. There wasn't anything. You want to talk about an embargo or a blockade with no hope? You can't sleep at night. Your friends won't leave you alone. You're miserable. You've asked God for help. You've tried to maintain your integrity, and nothing's happening. Day after day, week after week, Month after month, where is God? But I want to tell you, when God does appear, it's quite evident that he's been standing with Job the whole time because he brings up every piece of conversation that's been spoken by the three friends and everything that's going on. And when God comes, he straightens everything out real quick and the embargo against Job is lifted and the hedges are put back in place and Job receives more than he's ever received. But you know, the view from the window for a while was quite depressing. What are you gonna do? You're gonna park the motorhome and you're gonna throw away the keys and walk away and say it's not worth it? There were days on our trip that it rained. I didn't like the rainy days. There were days that were beautiful in my walk for God. Every day seems different. Sometimes I feel so close to God that I could touch him. I have no problem feeling the presence of God moving through me and around me. And other times I feel like I'm in a desert place and everyone's forgot. But you know what? I need to realize that the, that the, the, the van is still moving. And that I need to keep my communication with God open to encourage me through my trial. Maybe, maybe Paul felt that when he went to Rome, God will, would allow him to speak in the forum 
You know, Rome was his hometown, or he real familiar with Rome. Lots of friends there. But what happens in your life when things don't turn out the way that you think they should? What happens when you get bad news that you weren't expecting? And I could go on to tell you about Daniel. Tell you about how Daniel was only trying to do what was right. He just wanted to pray three times a day to his God. And he was told that he couldn't. And he said, I, it's better for me to obey God rather than men. And it's just prayer. It's not hurting anybody. But see, the devil wanted him to stop praying. Because when you stop praying, you cut off the supply line of, for your faith. And if he can get your emotions so damaged and, and hidden inside your heart where you become so depressed and discouraged, you're no good for anything. Do you know the, the Bible says that sometimes you're not going to have somebody there to pat you on the back and hold your hand? You're going to be in a situation where you're by yourself and you're, you may even hear the little voice in your mind saying, no one cares about you. Do you know what the Bible tells you to do when that happens? It says, encourage yourself in the Lord. Do you know, the, like I said before, the only thing that can get through the barrier sometimes that Satan may have placed around your life that God has allowed for you in your testing and you will be tested. You will be tested. And some of you have been tested numbers of times. The only thing that sometimes can make it through the barrier is the spoken word of God. Because the word is strong and able to tear down strongholds and barriers. It can get through to the hardest heart. It can get into the deepest situation. And there again, Paul realizes that. And he says to his, his converts, you know what? You need to gather yourselves together all the more as you see the day approaching. And he says, when you do that, preach the word. Preach the truth. Because the truth is able to set the person free from the captivity of his own emotions, the captivity of his own thoughts, pulling down his strongholds. My biggest stronghold is between my ears. We've all felt it. And I, maybe, I've, maybe I'm preaching this because I've felt it more lately than at other times, and I don't like it. You know, I'm, as a... I like to be charismatic. I like to, I like to go in there and when I come into situations, I like to feel the presence of God flowing through me and there's a, such an anointing and such a, you know, people take drugs. Holy cow. The Bible talks about being addicted to the ministry. There were people that were addicted to the ministry. You want to be on a high drug? Forget pumping it into your veins with a needle. Get involved in allowing the presence and the anointing of God flow through you to someone else. What a thrill it is. How it pumps you up. Teach a Bible study. Feel the anointing of God. And you walk out and say, 
they thank me for teaching the Bible study. Oh, I thank them that I could get a fix tonight because the Spirit of God has anointed me. But when we get isolated, we, we sometimes become paralyzed. You know, Daniel, they did cast him into the lion's den, just as they said they would. The king comes, and I want to read what Daniel said. Daniel went all the way. Matter of fact, when they, they, they said the Bible says they rolled the stone in front of the door and they sealed it. Can you imagine what that felt like for Daniel when he was locked in there with those hungry lions? Then, the, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so they have not hurt me. That almost stands, sounds like what we read in, in the book of Acts, the Lord stood by me. I want to let you know that God's standing with you. Whether you feel him or not is a relative. I sometimes feel that angelic presence around me, and sometimes I don't. But you know what? I believe that God's assigned an angel to me to watch over me. It's kind of cool that I'm never really alone, but even better is God's in me. But see, even though I don't see nor feel is a relative to that. How about the three Hebrew children in the furnace? One, two, three, whoops. One, there's the fourth person. You know what? If you will live for God, and I'm going to wrap this up. If you will live for God and trust him, regardless of what you see out the window, and rest assured that even though you might suffer, and you might be in isolation and cut off and feel like the world is passing you by and you can't do what you want to do. Do you know one of the hardest things for me this last year was? And thank God I'm moving around and I'm, I'm feeling so much better. Was not to be able to do the things that I wanted to do physically. In the same manner, for me not to be able to preach or to teach would be devastating to me because I feel like God designed me. That's my calling, and God's given you a calling. But even if that happens, God can still use me to affect the lives of others. So whether I'm blessed or whether I'm not, God still works through the situation. And I think that's where I'm going to stop. Now, I don't know who I spoke to today. I've got an idea, some ideas. But you don't understand why God is allowing that to happen in your life. And you're watching this terrible situation going on. And you feel 
that you have no control over it. And you wonder how God ever is going to be receive glory through this. But I feel this morning that God gave me this message for you to tell you that you should not look at the symptom. You should look at the cure. And you should see what God is doing through the situation that is changing not only you, but it's changing people around you and how their faith is affected by your faithfulness in your embargo. And don't you dare lose hope or stop doing what God's called you to do. Because like I said, God is about to open the prison door. He's about to send his angel. Remember Peter Matter of fact, Peter got so comfortable that the angel had to kick him in the side to wake him up. And he said, and he says, when they went through the first gate and the second gate and the third gate, I want to tell you the place was secure. But when God wants to bring you out, you don't need to worry about how it's going to happen. It doesn't matter how difficult the situation is or what people have said or what things are in place or what you do have or what you don't have. When the time is right, God will send his angel and he will stand by you and he will release you from that situation. But till then, enjoy the view from the window. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.